Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to The Ramble. I am with another guest who is being welcomed back to The Ramble. Am I the only guest? Welcome back. No, but you are the only guest that has come back. So oh. <laughs> well with that, it is the always lovely Jana Primus, my wife. Hello. Um, how are you? I'm good. Feeling well, the, really good. The reason I ask that is because we had a crazy week. We had a week where Jovi, our youngest, had a fever and a rash for like three or four days. And we had two kids who had night terrors thanks to <laughs> watching or listening to a children's podcast on ghost stories and whatever else about the spirit realm that you taught them. <laughs> And we had a dog that had the runs and was up all night one night. We had three nights where we... Which added to the, to the night terrors. I know. I know. <laughs> that is a, a, a very... It's not, not every week is like that, but that week is, makes, reminds you you're a parent. <laughs> and human. And human. But we've come out of it. We're on the other side. Yeah. And one of our daughters, I won't say who, who has been feeling a lot of anxiety, you know, ergo night terrors. I don't know if that's the right expression, but I'm going, I'm going with it and other things. She actually attended a breath work session with Carmen Don, who was on the podcast. And I don't know what happened in that session, but she came out light as a feather do you know what happened in that session? I haven't gotten all the information yet. I'm sure it'll come out over time, but yes, bright and sparkly and brand spanking new was the energy that I was feeling from that. What do you think happened? Seeing. Well, my gut tells me that there was some release and there was probably some new tools that were given that felt like they were going to help. Tools for what? Worry? Yeah. Yeah. When you did a mother-daughter breathwork session, Mm -hmm. what happened? Well, my mother-daughter session, it was was an open sort of session. It wasn't just focused on mothers and daughters, but I, uh, it was a, not my first time, but it was my mother's first time. And I think that that weighed a little heavy on my heart. I felt as though I was worried about her experience rather than concentrating on my own. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I definitely tapped in and breath is extremely powerful and I know it can take you places and I did go places, but I think I would have been a lot deeper had I not been pulling myself out of my body and worrying about her experience at the same time. Mm-hmm. As, as a parent, we take, not we take, we 
a lot of what our kids struggle with, we project or have had or have experienced, and they seem to be reliving some aspect of us. At least I, I feel that with our girls. Do you? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. And (laughs) I think that I probably get more frustrated than I should, especially at night for some reason, maybe it's lingering anxiety from some night experience that I've had, but I, I'm less patient as a parent at night, even if it's not super late. And I find that you, Joel, are far more patient and far more understanding in the evening than I am. Not if I want to have sex. <laughs> well, that's true. I'm and, incredibly impatient. <laughs> and, and I feel like it switches as soon as like 4 a.m. hits because then I come back into being super patient and you're just like, nope, mm-hmm. not happening. It's not technically morning in your brain. <laughs> but back to the breath work and the choice. Because there's a question in here that I'm looking for you to answer. Okay. And I keep poking you, but you're not answering it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to be general. Yeah. I'm generalizing just because I don't know who's still awake, uh, which I, maybe we can come back to you. Yeah. Maybe we can come back to it because I'm, I'm okay. And we will come back to it, but I'll just close it out by saying that I wanted to understand from your perspective, the idea of how we heal the mother-daughter, father-daughter relationship and how we approach when our children are experiencing things in a way that they can learn from it, from heal from it, but not that we punish them for it. Not that we're like, oh, this kid is bad. This kid just won't learn. This, this kid won't grow up enough already. You know, well, we've been here before. We're just repeating something again. Because I know that that's something that we're dealing with a lot and I'm sure everybody is. And so I thought you could share some of your, your wisdom on that and share it, you know, in relation to how the breath work with Carmen can go and, and both in the, the mother daughter um, sessions, as well as in the solo sessions, but we'll put a pin in it and we'll move on to another random topic. So this is our this is third. How we- Third, this is, this is just how we talk now. We don't talk <laughs> face to face. We talk on screens in opposite rooms, so there's no feedback. <laughs> and we're drinking a rock. A rock was uh, is a Lebanese anise liqueur that our friend Faze brought back from from uh, Beirut when he moved to Canada. But we drank it heavily when we were there, and we love it. It's just like. Sambuca or Uzo if you're Mm -hmm. drinking at a a Greek restaurant. So that's, that's what's on the menu tonight. And last time we chatted, we talked about your dreadlocks and -hmm. something came up recently that made me want to revisit an aspect of your dreadlocks. And it is not that you have put in dreadlock extensions and they are now gloriously down to your ass. Which Uh, I love. (laughs) I know they're so epic. But I was talking to somebody and they said to me, you're brave for letting your wife have dreadlocks. And also you're brave for letting your wife just change her hair all the time. Cause you've had like the Meg Ryan, you've had the Charlie's Theron. You're about, you know, you, one day you'll do the Demi Moore GI Jane. <laughs> no, sorry, Jada. But, um, we'll, we'll stick with Demi. On Demi, this. Demi was first. <laughs> Maybe. And um, that was probably a, 
not a great comment, but I, uh, I'm curious. I was like, but it's not really my choice. Like, I don't have a say in what you do with your hair, what clothes you wear is, but is the question, should I, should we? So I, I actually encounter that a lot as well. Not even dreadlock worthy, but whenever I change my hair, specifically when I cut it short, which I've had my hair very long in our relationship and I've had it very short. And a lot of women say to me, oh, my partner would never let me do that. Or they hate short hair. And I think it's so cool that Joel's okay with it. And I also am like, really? Like, it's so fun being able to change that. And it grows back. It's not like it's not going to come back in some way, shape or form. I feel like hair, hair has some magic to it. You know, the scene in Avatar, like the blue Avatar, when they take their braid and the braid has little fibers on the end Mm -hmm. and they can like attach it to mother earth and then they like pick up feedback from it. So I kind of feel like that's real in some way. Mm. And I feel like we cut our hair or grow our hair to represent different transformations in our life and things that we're hanging on to or releasing or connecting to in a different way. And I feel like my dreadlocks, the more I look at them, the more I feel like their roots are tree-like or Mm. like very much locking in wisdom and energy in some way. But yes, I do find that people comment the same to me just from the opposite perspective. But what's your take on it? Should, should one consider their partners, what their partner finds attractive, or at least thinks they find attractive before making a style slash fashion slash beauty decision, (laughs) cosmetic decision of any kind? Is this a partner? Is this a partner discussion or is it simply a partner mention? Hey, husband. I'm shaving my head today. See you in two hours. You know. Like, oh my gosh. I I don't know. I feel you and I have never had that issue. So it's hard for me to say what is the thing or what is not the thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to answer that because I feel weird about it because some people are really specific about it and really particular about it. And they want, obviously you want to be attractive to your partner and some haircuts look good on people and some don't. Mm-hmm. I've but definitely you only, tried you some. Only, you only find out after, right? You only live once. Yeah. And my my sense on it is, is you should go for it. I mean, one, we're all going to gray and get older and you're going to have to deal with change anyway. Or in the case of myself and many men, you, you lose more hair than you'd like to. And and you just, so it's like, oh, you're bald now. Well, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> I'm no longer attracted <laughs> to you, right? It's like, no, you got to roll with it. And, you know, from a purely, <laughs> from, from the standpoint of attraction and intimacy, sometimes it's nice when the, the vibe is totally changed up and there's a different <laughs> energy in, in the bedroom, I find. Yeah, I I find that. No, I totally find that too. I do agree with you. I guess I'm just not wanting to offend somebody by saying, why would you ever ask if it's okay? Because it's your hair. (laughs) It's okay to ask. I understand that. And I understand it. You are are not one to tiptoe around 
anything. So you don't have to tiptoe around it here either. Oh, but I do tiptoe. Don't you remember <laughs> the roundabout way I go about asking you to do things for me? <laughs> true. Uh, anyway, I just, I wanted to have that conversation. I wanted to put it to people who are listening. If you've had that conversation with your partner and you don't want to do something because you think that they might not like it, I say, fuck it, go do it. And it'll make you stronger as a couple for doing it. And it will make you stronger as an individual for following what it was you wanted to do, even if you don't love it. Yes. Okay. So I have, I have something kind of fun to add to that. What about the time I stretched my earlobes or the time that I got a ferret? (laughs) Oh, here comes the challenges. Well, (laughs) here's the thing. You did them. So you did them and yeah, yeah. these are two, well, one of them is a real low point in our relationship. <sighs> I felt like I was being replaced by the ferret, which I think is a sidebar conversation because it's the introduction of another thing into the relationship, like a living thing. And the ferret's name was Bojangles and it shat all over the house and <laughs> stunk. And we lived in a one bedroom condo and I hated it. And I, anyway, so I think that an animal is different, but the earlobes, we go to the, the back to hair grows back style. You could like clothing style. You can change. My worry with the earlobes was that you were going to regret stretching your ears. And it wasn't something that could be undone if you did it. But that said, I think you've trapped me in my hypocrisy. So there you have it. (laughs) Is that fair? (laughs) I think so. I think it's just good to make sure I cover other bases. Because if you're cool with hair and not cool with something else. You still did it. It still happened. Yes. And then you realized, well, actually, why did you take them out? The earrings, not Bojangles. Rest in peace. Why did I take them out? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think while I was pregnant with Quinn, I think I took them out just because they were annoying me. I think they weren't super big. They were, I only stretched them to the point where I knew that they would go back to a relatively normal size. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And if if you kept them, I still have loved you and been with you and stayed with you. I do think they look cool. I don't know. You know, there you have it. I have a lot of earrings too. So it was just another thing I tried to wear <laughs> earrings now. Okay. Moving on. You have, I believe we talked about this in the last podcast and I haven't listened to it. You've listened to a bit of it. There's certain things that I want to continue to discuss and I want you to bring them to the audience because there's, there's a lot of things that you can teach and share that I can't, and many of my guests can't. Some of my guests can, but you've probably recommended those guests to me. Uh, Did we talk about how you, after you birthed Joby, and you had a tear, you decided to heal the tear naturally? Yeah, we did talk about that. We did talk about that. But at the time when we talked about it, you were still in the question mark of whether that, that was a good decision. Yes. I think I was a little bit vague about it when we spoke and I was very much still in 
the humming and hawing of, did I do it right? Right. And you feel much more grounded in that now, right? Yeah. I, I absolutely think that I made the right decision for me and my body. And actually I feel as though the healing now that it is well underway, well, 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 well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My body feels so different in a positive way. It feels as though it healed a way that it was supposed to the first time. Mm-hmm. And that part of that healing, you also felt like what issues you had with your pelvic floor have turned the other direction and are, are feeling much better pre birth with uh, Roman to now. Yeah. So after Roman, um, I had some prolapsing issues and I went to a therapist and I took a whole bunch of classes and I educated myself using, um, there's this person named Carly Ray who works hands on hands in with women and men. And she taught a virtual class on healing your pelvic bowl and it changed my life. It's basically just getting to know your body and what's normal and what's not and releasing tension in your tissues in ways that you would have never learned through anything else. And I can't remember the name of the method she used. It's like roll for something, roll thing. But anyway, she teaches this class called Nectar, which is a super juicy name also. And it's basically just showing women something that nobody has been taught that we should all know. And it's getting to know your body in an intimate way and through healing your body in an intimate way. And something else that she really advocates for is eating animal fats in your diet for healing. So much so to the the very point that she'll say, she doesn't even work with women who are vegetarian or vegan. Mm. And I'd say that's pretty profound. And people get uppity about it. I would have five years ago because I was vegan. You were a vegan. (laughs) But having been uh, eat whatever was put in front of me person, a vegetarian, a vegan, and now back to meat, the healing time with adding animal fats in my diet is astronomically different, shorter. It feels like my connective tissue is responding differently. My pelvic floor responded differently. Like I said, Roman, after her birth, I, um, I struggled. And I mean, it was a combination of a bunch of things, stress, the way I was working out, the way I was eating, and um, my postpartum time being a pretty quick turnaround. So this time with having a slower postpartum, healing without stitches, which added to it because I had to be slower. The way I ate and easing myself back into exercise, uh, my pelvic floor is way stronger than it was after my second birth. How many women, as a percentage basis, or even just generalized, struggle with pelvic floor issues after birth or in general? And can you explain what that is for for women and men who don't know about pelvic floor issues. Cause I imagine it's something that can happen. That's literally never talked about after mm-hmm. it's happened. And you just have this, Oh, well, this is the way it is now. mentality. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the mentality that I had too mm-hmm. for a while. I think the number that I read is 50% after birth, but it's one of those things where, you know, how they say men, 
with prostate issues, like 80% of men who are over 80 have them. I think, is that the percentage? I think it's similar to women and, and prolapsing. And uh, when I say prolapsing, I mean either the bladder, the uterus, or the bowel, like anything in the pelvic bowl. Um, it's really common after birth, just because of the muscles that you use to push out a baby. Sometimes not even incorrectly used, just with a weakened floor or even a super tight floor and pushing through that um, prolapsing can happen. But most of the time, I mean, what I experience and what I've read people experience and heard people experience, they'll go in to see a pelvic floor specialist who will work with them for a bit. And some people notice a difference. And basically they just teach you how to do a correct Kegel. You can use a machine to do it. And they'll try and stimulate the muscles and the pelvic floor. And a Kegel being a being Kegel. like, like squeezing yes. the, the pelvic floor muscles. But if that is not enough for you, you're given a pestuary, which is basically an insert that holds up any prolapsing that's inside of you. So if it's the uterus, for example, it's this little kind of like a rubber, I guess, ball, but it's flat, like a disc that is inserted inside to hold up your uterus. So it's not fixing the problem. It's just alleviating symptoms. And then the next thing to that is surgery mm-hmm. where you get pieces cut out or stabilized in a different way. And um, that doesn't, that didn't sit well with me. <laughs> it wasn't like, okay, this is my fate. This is just what I have to live with now. <laughs> That's how I feel about hair loss. Yeah. <laughs> it does right? not sit well with me, but, but okay. You know, guys stick with this because the reason I, I have Jana on and I press on these things is because it's really important to know our partners and it's really important to know what's going on for them. And I say this from the standpoint of my own inpatience when it comes to, or when it came to sex and it came to not understanding why after, or uh, I don't know if it was Roman or Quinn, but when you had the episiotomy line and then the stitch on the tear. And then there would sometimes be pain for you um, during sex. If uh, you know, you weren't ready to say, Mm -hmm. and that not readiness sometimes for me was, uh, Oh, am I not helping you get ready fast enough? Are you not excited with me? But really there's like another issue. That's there's another thing happening. And when I become educated on that, I become much more aware and sensitive, sensitive and present with what's going on for you and your body. And, you know, now since healing it, but even after Jovi making sure because you were healing it naturally, that we were really slow to begin having sex again. And even the way that we had sex as part of your healing, as opposed to the way that sex happens in porn and on movies. This Uh is the reality for (laughs) women who've just had a baby and sometimes not. Maybe, Uh maybe they were raped. Maybe they have other things going on for them. And it's important to know these things. It's very important to know these things and be a part of these things with your partner. So that's why I'm pressing on it. And I want, 
to to segue just a just a hair back to um uh, what was the girl's name who does the work um Carly Ray Carly Ray so what specifically you mentioned a method as well mm-hmm. is she doing did you do any of that that method specifically and is there an is there an access point for women or men for that matter to engage with you know their work if some of the things that you're talking about resonate with them yeah so i i don't want to speak for her yeah. i can only speak to my own experience with it and i know that she still offers these classes i don't think she's doing anything in person at the moment but like i said this these class this class has been life-changing for me and many other women. This class is focused on women, but one benefits the whole if we're in <laughs> coupling. So, uh, so her method, what I was shown is you are, you are, you are using your hands inside and around your vulva and your vagina to release energy and tension and muscle like tissue that has been stagnant or built up scar tissue or it created less flexibility, less, uh, like I want to say like not juicy and voluptuous and um, free moving tissue, like tissue that has become hard and stagnant and not moving. And you're using your hands to free it. And what often happens when you do that, and what definitely happened to me, is um, you release years of emotion that had been building up in that space. And I don't think I realize, even though I know, which is so funny, because I know these things, and then for some reason I forget entirely with myself. <laughs> but I, I, women specifically hold so much in our womb space, in our pelvic bowl. We hold so much emotion. That's like our filter for everything we feel is in our womb. And when you hold on to it in there, it creates a space that is not free flowing and stagnant. It's the same as like your full body. Like you can feel it in your body when you haven't released something, but in your womb specifically, when you have your hands inside of you and you're moving that tissue to encourage it to have blood flow, to encourage it to be free, you release things. So I was bawling like a baby in this class. Mm -hmm. And the way that she does it is she has a, a lesson ahead of time. I think the class is three hours. She has a lesson ahead of time instructing everything. And she has pelvic models and diagrams and she gives a whole ton of great information and then um, the cameras go off and she kind of walks you through like a guided meditation with your hands on and hands in. And she even has different varying degrees of like women who have experienced trauma and are not ready for hands in and women who, you know, maybe she's moving on ahead, but you're still at one part in your body where you're not ready to move ahead. You still need to spend more time there. It's, it's very flexible in that way. And she follows kind of the motion of a clock. So you start at 12 and you work your way down through the numbers, just like a clock face inside of your vagina. And it actually starts with the outside first and just grounding yourself and moving the tissue that has built up fascia 
and is not released. It's very stagnant. And she talks about what that could mean. And she's like open to questions. And it's like really in depth and very, very powerful, almost like a like a mushroom journey, honestly. Mm. It's pretty visual and very releasing. Yeah. It reminds me of, well, not even, it, I recall Jasmine Rose, your mm-hmm. friend who you suggested I have on the podcast to discuss some of these things. I think that she said that it is the fascia, mm-hmm. that whole, especially for women in the womb. Mm-hmm. that holds so much of this. And if you want to just take a step further into the into the woo-woo, if you will, and I don't think it's that, but maybe that <laughs> sets the stage. We, her and I touched on the book Womb Awakening, but we didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't dive into it. We didn't mm-hmm. talk about it at all. And she recommended that book to you. You've read a bunch of it. I've read a little bit of it. And is it, is it more than just healing the trauma in the womb? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that the womb is actually a, 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 a I don't know if I have the words to, to the language to put together, but it's almost a spiritual force in and of itself. It's, it's, it's cosmic in and of itself. It is divine in and of itself. It is like the essence of our creation really as a species. Mm-hmm. And this is even more, this is why it's even more important to care for this part of our body because it is connected. If you, if your mind can go this far, to the realms of which life enters the body, not just biologically, but spiritually. Yes. Is there anything now that I've opened this door that you want to add to what you've said as it relates to the book, as it relates to anything? Yes. Uh, Jasmine, I know, speaks a lot to it being a portal. She talks about womb portals and... I really like how she speaks about it. I think it's very magical and uh, makes me feel pretty special as a woman to be a womb carrier. I There was another person that I followed for, a, I still follow her, but deeply followed for a while. And her business is called Cervical Wellness. And her history was that she had HPV and she was basically told that she had to live with it her whole life. And she was testing yearly to see if she still had signs for it and if it was still showing up and she healed herself from it and she was tested medically and she does not have it anymore. And so now she leads women to heal from it. But why I mentioned her name specifically was because she had always talked about how the entrance to the womb looks like a black hole. It's the womb is this void, this I'm going to say empty, but not because it is empty, just because it's the space where things are created from nothing. Mm -hmm. It is this, it is a portal between life and death between, okay, that's really vague, but I will, I will get there in a second. It is a portal where souls enter the world. And 
when I think it was three years ago when a woman had successfully taken a picture of a black hole in space and posted it to, I'm going to say NASA's website. I think she worked for them. I'm not entirely sure. That image actually looked identical to the image of a cervix under a light when we look at it with a speculum, which is the little duck thing that opens up a vagina so you can see the cervix. And it just like tied together the teachings that that person had already been learning and speaking about. And it also made me reflect on how we always talk about how like people are mirrors to us. The feelings that you're feeling about yourself are often reflected in other people that you come in contact with. And I feel like the reflections don't just stop there. I feel like space is reflected in our body and in ourselves. And if we think of things like the Milky Way, our galaxy, and we have a sun and we have planets and we have stars and all these things exist in our universe. And then we look into our bodies and we literally have the universe in our bodies as well. You look at each of our cells and all of the systems that work together, the nucleus, the mitochondria, we all know that's the powerhouse of the cell. Just want to bring back that. <laughs> and all of these systems are intricately designed to coexist and work together and really encircle themselves around our bodies and work in ways that we know and don't know. And the womb is a space like that too. It's, it's an unknown space in the sense that we don't really fully know how or why a soul decides to enter our body and come through us, but life in the magic and the miracle that it is, is so complex. And so it's like, we know so much about it, but we don't know everything at all. And I think that the void, I'm sorry, I, I'm like losing my train of thought here. I, my rant is gone. <laughs> you are, uh, you were totally allowed to lose your rent in the flow. Let me, let me interject and say, you know, for, for the most part, you know, we don't edit this for, for things like that. So it's real and it's in real time. And why am I pushing so hard on these things that may seem way out there or may cause eye rolls? And I just, think it's so important to, if you, you don't have to believe anything beyond the, the literal way that we have been taught about our biology. Okay. But if we at least attempt to experience our partner's bodies as divine, as something beyond biology, which is amazing, but something more, it can create a transcending experience or experience where you transcend and start to know more and experience more layers of what you can, a pleasure of pain, of release. And it creates this magic, which is a word you used to think about your body in this way. And I don't know where I am on the belief spectrum of it is 
X or it's not, you know, it's not, and it's Y. Not to use X and Y chromosomes as, as, as anything <laughs> specifically. That's just what came out. But I can say for certain that when I look at you and I look at the creation of our child as something spiritual, the experience was simply out of this world. And I don't know if any of that was true biologically. Could have just been literal, literally how a baby is made as we're taught, but it didn't feel that way. And when I think about my body in this infinite cosmic universal kind of way, like you described, my body feels more powerful. I feel more connected to some kind of spiritual purpose and meaning and energy in my life. And so that's why I like to just, for us to just like float these crazy things out there that you and I talk about and experience, not that like we sit in it every day, all day. <laughs> it's that we, we go there and we get curious about these other levels. And I think it's really, it's a really fun and powerful exercise for couples to do it together. And if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. You don't have to keep doing it. You know, it's like, it's just be curious about these things with each other. I was just going to say it, it definitely makes, when you think about how cosmic we are really and how much we really don't know, like, do you, do you think about your body as a system in the sense that you breathe air that your body takes and puts where it needs to be used into your body and collects waste? And I don't just mean like pee and poo. <laughs> I mean, like, things that you eat that it doesn't need anymore or different chemical reactions that happen in your body where it needs to get some of that out of your body. Like you don't even need to think about that. And your body does that for you on the daily. Mm -hmm. Your body is there to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And most of the time we don't, we take that for granted. We don't really think about it. And even the non-conscious act as it has been described to me, I'm using air quotations when I say that of growing a baby, like not thinking about it and your body will just do it is so much more complex and so much more worth a deeper look and a deeper conversation than just non-conscious act because amazing things are happening and the womb and even the pelvic bowl of you as a man contains intense magic that deserves to be thought about differently. So for those that are still with us. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody has left. I should also say I, I washed poo three times with my hands today. So I am a real human. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, there's, a, there's a purpose, another purpose for this conversation. And I'll see if we can weave this uh, line of thinking to where I want it to go. And if we can't, I'll blame it on the booze. So the recently, uh, the midwives, I don't know if it's their college of uh, doctors, uh, and you can explain what a midwife is for those who uh, don't know. 
we might have touched on that before, have stated that they will no longer accept a birth plan. And a birth plan is essentially the, the woman's voice in and, and plan for how she wants to give birth and how she wants to respond to certain situations and be in her power and have her partner there to help advocate for her and be in her power as this happens. And they are, if I, if I'm correct in this, they are effectively saying you are not allowed that anymore. We know what's best. And if we say what's best, you must follow us. Is this true or false or how does it need to be repositioned? Uh, so it wasn't colleges of midwives. I think it was just one group of OBs and midwives. Um, a midwife is a traditional birth attendant or was, it was basically the only way that women gave birth a long time ago was either on their own with their family members or somebody who was seen as the local wise woman or a midwife, which could have been just somebody who had seen birth a long time for many years would attend the birth and help everybody gather to help a baby come into the world. So now um, they're more medicalized. They go to school to become midwives in the States. I think that they have a direct entry program and they also have a nurse midwifery program, which is basically you have a nursing degree and then a midwives degree. So they're medicalized. They're trained in helping mom and baby medically survive birth. And then they also provide emotional support too. But their main concern, especially here in Canada and America, is the physical health of mom and baby. Doulas, just to specify something different, are there for the emotional, um, spiritual, physical support of the family and the mother-baby dyad. Yeah, so it was one group of midwives and OBs that had sent out a letter to all of their clients. This was, it, it like went all around the birth community, which is why Joel's bringing this up. And the notice had basically said that they were no longer accepting birth plans. So people who are having babies usually are encouraged to create a birth plan. And some people will say, well, actually some doulas even will say, and some midwives will say, there's no sense in creating a birth plan because it'll all go out the window. But I encourage it. And I think a lot of the doulas are on the same page with me encourage it because what a birth plan, the purpose of a birth plan is not even really to say like, this is what I want to happen. This is what I don't want to happen. Although it does say that the purpose of a birth plan is to get people to start asking questions, to start understanding what is normal, what is abnormal, what can be done even just through policy to you in a hospital, what you have the right to say no to, what you have the right to ask for. So back to this group, this group said they will no longer be accepting birth plans. And basically their reasoning was that birth is random and we pledge ourselves on making the best decisions for a healthy baby and a healthy mother. So believe us and don't question it. <laughs> right now I'm going to, I'm going to take us somewhere and then we're going to come back here. Two terms that I'm not, if you're familiar with them, Great. Uh, if you're not, I'm going to explain them. Heterodox or the heterodoxy are people not conforming with accepted or orthodox standards 
or beliefs in religion, this heterodoxy was any opinions or doctrines that were at a variance with an official or orthodox position. Contrarian being someone who opposes or rejects popular opinion or goes against current practice. Now, is that me? <laughs> no, that's, well, yeah, that is. But that's a lot of, you've seen these terms come up a lot in recent times. Uh, there's a lot of podcasters that would fall into these categories. You know, the Unspeakable Podcast, Rebel Wisdom Podcast are two great contrarian heterodox type podcasts. People like Sam Harris, Brett and Heather Weinstein, etc. Jordan Peterson, you know, would 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 be in and of the thought leaders uh, that are at the forefront of, of, of uh, I guess you could call it a movement where there's more and more people falling into these camps. And as I age, I, although I really, really, really try to remain neutral in how I look at things and I'm not political or I don't want to be political. I'm not a political commentator. I don't understand you know, politics at, at the level of academia or, or, you know, really at all. And, but we've all kind of looked at this during the pandemic. And I, again, I, I find myself more and more in these two, you know, under these definitions without really wanting to be. It's not, I don't wake up in the morning and think, how can I, <laughs> I you know, reject how am I going to stir shit up today? <laughs> you know, you know what's being what's being forced upon me, and so I, I just anyway, I find myself more here. You are definitely here. You are usually a few steps ahead of me here, and I always try and and be really cautious how how far I wade in here. So this is really a, a contemplative exercise for those who are listening to do what they will with. But in origin, uh, recently the the College of natural paths. And this is the college, um, or this is a group of, as I understand it, 150 natural paths in British Columbia who are suing our uh, ministers of health over the not being allowed to discuss the virus named COVID-19 with their clients. They were not even allowed to discuss anything based on their own opinions, their own research, other research um, that had been shared with them, their understanding of medicine, everything that they were allowed to talk about as it related to COVID came from the very top. And, And as part of that, it was mostly, here's what you are not allowed to say. Here is what you are not allowed to think about this. So they are suing the heads of, of, of our, of our uh, provincial health organization uh, around the freedom to practice medicine as, as they learned it and studied it. And they may win. By the time this comes out, there, you know, there may be some form of a win. However, it won't matter because what will happen, as they have, as a few of these doctors have told me, is that the college will simply be blown up and all of its bylaws will be rewritten 
and they will all be rewritten from a perspective that you must follow the authorities at the top on any given health issue that the province and the nation sinks its teeth into. Okay, so with that being said, the question in all of this and bringing it back to what's happening with this one community, and I apologize for getting that wrong, within the midwives of, of, of you know, the nation or the province is that when we think about our bodies and we think about what we know about medicine and when we think about what we know about intuition, how much should we be involved in the decisions of our own health, given that we are not, air quotes, experts, and we are operating on our intuition and how much should we be allowed to question what's being told to us, what we are allowed and not allowed to do with our own health. Again, given that we are not experts. Did you want to answer that? <laughs> I feel so fired up. I, I don't know about you, but I have always wanted to know that I have options, that there is never just one decision in anything I'm learning and anything I feel is a part of my identity or myself or my body physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I want options. If I am struggling mentally, which I have, I've struggled with anxiety and depression before in my life. And the only option for me was, let's say, to be put in an asylum. Would I feel like I was taken care of or that I was given all the information or that I was not a crazy person? No. And we understand enough about mental health now to know that it's not just one answer. We know that people's lifestyles and their environment all interplay with how their mental state is. We know that history, family history, sexual history, like your birth all can all play into your mental health, partnership, friendship, school, drugs, diet. Like there's so many things that can affect one system in your body. Why is there, why would there be only one answer? Why would there be only one way to talk about it? So I would look to health and doctors and naturopaths and midwives and OBs and surgeons and I would hope that there would be varying degrees of information that would be able to be given to me if I was seeking answers. I would never feel like I was being looked at as a whole person if I was told that there was only one answer, or there was only one way to look at something. Yeah. Holistic medicine isn't hokey. Holistic medicine is, includes the allopathic system, which is the conventional system. It also includes to do what you mentioned, looking at our mind, body, spirit, not just, okay, what's the, the symptom and potentially, you know, how do we treat the symptom or what might've caused the symptom, but there's a whole holistic way of looking at these things. And that includes a whole bunch of different practitioners and experts and doctors to approach any given ailment that we have and look at it from every possible angle as to how it might've happened, how we could heal it. Nutrition being huge, our spiritual wellness being huge, uh, you know, our lifestyle, 
you know, our energy systems inside our body, you know, how is our energy flowing? And this really isn't even, again, all that hokey. Like I said, it's it, any one of these modalities, including breath work, like we brought up earlier, is something that you can go and book an appointment for today, but none of them, other than the main <laughs> medical allopathic medical system are actually put into consideration when we are putting together some of these, these different mandates from the top. Now, I didn't pose that to make people irate or to encamp you or I or anybody. I posed it as a question to think about. What does it make you think about? When you think about your the autonomy of your body, when you think about your intuition, when you think about healing yourself, where is your involvement personally in your own health and wellness versus outsourcing all of it or a great deal of it to somebody else? And, and, I, and again, how, it's just a question. It's a question to ask yourself. And to think really seriously about the answer may be all of it and that's fine. But I just wanted to pose it as a question before I move on. Was there anything you want to add, babe? Yeah, I do. You're saying, what do you think about? And I think I should just say what I think about too. I always think about my children because I came from a generation of people who did not question the doctors and the medical procedures that were happening. And I learned to question by having access to information and by having different pathways that I could inquire about so that I knew that there was more than what I was just handed as a first means of healing myself. And I think about our kids and if that access is taken away and how that changes the generations, if this information isn't shared or taught. So if you're taking it away from the top and by that, I mean, if doctors and midwives are given only one method of teaching something where they're not told that they can explore other means of healing the body or sharing the information of healing the body with their patients, then how will people know in future generations if it's not taught by the people who already know? Yeah, the wisdom. It, it feels... <laughs> It feels a bit book burning esque in the sense that you know we do, we do need to pass down wisdom and and we have for generations and generations and generations and it seems like aspects of that are being having a lid put on them. Mm-hmm. Now that can all change, and you know I think that that is a is a good place to leave it for now. And this podcast is really gonna. We're going to be like, oh, this is who the fuck they are? Okay. <laughs> no, we're just people who, who who really, like I said, get curious about what's happening and why it's happening and, and you know, where, where we fit into it today and, and, and where we want to fit into it down the line. And I think that that is an, is an interesting segue back to our daughter, and maybe we won't even tackle exactly the breathwork thing. Maybe we will. But I've been reading this book called The Comfort Crisis by Michael 
Zeller? No, that's somebody else. I can't. Easter, Michael Easter. And it talks about how we are just too damn comfortable. And that level of comfort in, and, and the lack of hardship, the lack of struggle, the lack of overcoming is feeding into anxiety, is feeding into depression, is feeding into, I'm not finished the book yet, but the weakness of our species, of our mm-hmm. human species, and how you know everything is at our fingertips and that isn't making us stronger. And it's important to tap into deliberate struggle if we aren't otherwise struggling for things. And so is he saying, is he saying like you need to struggle or you need to find something to struggle about because we don't struggle enough? We need to learn. We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We need to learn that we have the capacity to overcome things that are hard and things that we don't necessarily know outright that we can overcome. That makes us stronger, more grounded human beings on planet earth, not entitled and not unable to function and cope because we haven't developed the tools to learn how to overcome when we are struggling to function and cope, right? You mentioned anxiety and depression. You've had it. I've had it. I've had it for many, many, many years and learning the tools to overcome it is what a helps it go away, but B, when you face it again, because it always rears its head, you know, okay, I can deal with this thing. It's, I don't need to, and maybe that's not the right word. I'm not going to allow this thing to derail my life because I've learned the tools to live with it and to understand why it's here. And that, that's obviously not the situation for everybody. But where am I going with this? The point is that he talks about this becoming more prevalent because as we go through the generations, we've gone from, you know, parents who, you know, in our generation, the one before us, where we just like disappeared after school and came home at dinner time and we struggled, we fought with kids on the playground and we just had to overcome it. We, you know, we had to find our way out of the forest when we went exploring with our buddies. We just had to overcome it to helicopter parenting where parents were hovering over everything that the children do to make sure that, you know, they, the kids are safe and that doesn't teach the children how to have that resilience in and of themselves. And that's moved into what he referred to as snowplow parenting, where it's not even that we're there hovering, it's that we're just making all the decisions for them. And that this isn't strengthening us and teaching us how to get comfortable being uncomfortable, how to learn how to overcome the things that are hard for us and fail us and challenge us, but that either somebody will solve them for us or you know, we can just, we don't have to do anything about them. So what do you think we do? You and I? Yeah. I mean, we're, we've, we're guilty of all of the above, but part of the reason we moved to the farm was 
to try and create an environment at least where they could get out and make and, mistakes, um, get messy. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was exactly one of the reasons. That was one of the reasons we took our kids traveling. We took them to uh-huh. Beirut, where we're drinking the Iraq from, so that they could see a country that had and you know was currently in turmoil, right? Had been through many, many wars and that it wasn't, you know, and taking them to Vietnam and taking them to parts of Argentina where they they could see firsthand that it it isn't all easy, that people do struggle. Mm-hmm. And, but yet that struggle can make them stronger. And and so we've tried and you know definitely failed at times. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't even really know your opinion on it. Like, what do you think is, where's the balance or is it not about balance? Is it literally like go back to the old ways? And in this way, we don't, we, we encourage the ability to question and we encourage the ability to, to look to ourselves for answers to our problems as well as you know, the experts and I think it all ties together. Maybe it doesn't, maybe I'm out to fucking lunch here. Sorry. You think what all ties together? Everything that we're talking about. Everything that we're talking about. What does this feel like? This feels like a lot. Yeah. It feels like a lot of like question and seek. I, how, what do I feel about it? I mean, I feel that something that came to mind when you were speaking was you were talking about being a kid and finding your way out of the forest and, I was thinking about me as a kid and we were just allowed to be outside and go to the store or ride your bike to your friend's house. And we were taught like road safety, but call your mom when you got there. So she knew you arrived safe, but it was, it felt safer than it does now for some reason. Like I think about one of our girls, if I were to give them the same sort of range that we had as kids, I feel like it wouldn't be safe. Do you feel that way? Mm, I think that it's, no, I think it's just as safe as it was. I think that we're just, we're just more inundated with narrative and fear around that it isn't as safe and the times have changed and we've changed with the times. And so we, not we, you know, we, we think it's not safe. I don't, but I don't see what's any different. It's not like there's more dangers in the world today than there was when I was growing up. Yeah, no, you're right about that for sure. I think that we do a really good job of some things that I knew that I could have used as a child that I didn't have. I was thinking about, I actually journaled about this today. I think that we do a good job of letting them play out their processing. So someone once said to us that, actually it was a child psychologist that said to us that kids need to process by playing. So even things like, I'm going to be the bad guy and I'm going to kill all these guys. As a parent on the outside, you're like, my child is so violent. But actually what they're just doing is playing a scenario that they're not normally in real life. (laughs) Just to see what it feels like, just to feel what it is that they're missing out on. And I think that we do that really well with our kids. We give them space to play because I know at our eldest age, I, I was not playing anymore. Um, and I think that there's a real benefit to that for her. Yeah. Play so therapy. that's a, 
Yeah. So that's a tool that we, we do well. And I think, I think we always give our kids opportunity to struggle in the moments when they arise. So today there was an issue at home where someone wanted alone time and the other person did not want the other person to have alone time. And it was a struggle and there were tears and screaming and probably about 45 minutes of talking that one down from the ledge. And it wasn't really resolved, but she just struggled. And I was just with her in the struggle and you were with her in the struggle. And we just kept repeating the same things. She was still frustrated, but she was in the struggle and it was okay. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I'm really glad you brought up the play point. I think that that is, if we can give a takeaway that's a really interesting one for people to contemplate on. If you have kids, it's just how do you play out the little traumas that you've just had? And as an adult, how do you feel out the little traumas that you've just had? You know, maybe they were nothing, or maybe you need to process that in some way you need to metabolize it. You need to digest it. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the best place to leave this because it's getting late here and just wandering all over the territory of I know we've been so many places what is this podcast called (laughs) I don't know but But, maybe we should just talk about the breath work really quick while we still have a moment sure yeah yeah okay so I think you wanted to speak on um, mother daughter healing and breath work right that's kind of what you said so I kind of like laughed internally when I heard you seeing that because I am still trying to heal my mother-daughter relationship within myself, which is all over the place. And I am also trying to heal it so that I don't pass it on to our daughters. And I think that that's kind of the pattern that every generation takes. Every generation, which is very biological, their parents raise them a certain way. They have kids. And they try not to do what their parents did to them. And then their kids have kids and try not to do what their parents did to them. And it goes on and on. And we keep trying to better, better ourselves. But I think that healing the line, which is probably the hot topic word or phrase that we might hear is important, even if it's a pattern that keeps shifting around. And basically healing the line means that you are in charge of your family line both ways. So your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and so on and so forth, and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and so on and so forth. And so anytime you heal something within yourself that seemed to be a family trait that was passed down, so maybe it's, I don't know, abuse or shame. Shame is a good one. Let's say shame. So if you heal the shame within yourself that you feel, the point of that is that you don't pass it to your kids so that they don't then feel shame and then shame their kids. And although it's not foolproof, there is, I think, a very important lesson in it. And I think that that lesson is that the healing that you do, no matter how slow no matter how the modality is that you use in order to do it, whether it's breath work or medicine journeys or just even changing the way that you parent compared to the parenting that you received. I think that all of it has an important role in shaping 
future. I agree. I, it's something that we, we think about, we, we do battle with, and we try and be purposeful about every day, almost every day. And that is a good takeaway to, to add, to end this on and to just give everybody that to say, Hey, you know, how are you healing the line, the wounds that your parents or others left to you that you may pass on to your children? How are you being the place where that stops? It's a great way to end it. And, you know, in summary, beyond that is just, thanks for letting us ramble on. Thanks for letting us think out loud. Thanks for sticking with us. If you stayed till the end, cause we went to some pretty, pretty far out places. Although I'm sure we haven't even scratched the surface, right? No. And I just thought of one, I just thought of one example, which I want to say just before you close, I'm sorry. I'm just, no, it's okay. coming to me. It's coming go, to me now. Um, I wanted to say like an example of healing the line birth wise, which has happened through my family. Um, my grandmother had two cesarean sections. So both my aunt and my mom were born via C-section and I'm not talking like the cute little small incision that is made. Now I'm talking like top of the rib cage to bottom of the pelvis incision is how, is how my mom was born and healing from that would have been crazy. Imagining that healing a full abdominal surgery wide open. That would have been crazy. So my mom, whatever healing she's done in her life, she knew within herself that she needed to not have a C-section, unnecessary C-section, I should say. And so when I was being born and they were talking to her about how long it was taking and how she was struggling, which she doesn't, she doesn't handle pain or blood or anything that way very well. She was adamant about not having a C-section and they couldn't force her to have one because nobody was in actual stress or danger or anything. And I was born via four steps, I believe. But for her, that was a victory because her mom had had traumatic cesareans and my mom did not. And so go to me having my first child, I had a forcep birth, which was traumatic for me, but I avoided a C-section like my mom. And I thought that that should be a win, a win for me because I didn't have a C-section also, but I still felt that there was more healing to be done. And so our next baby was a home birth and I healed a whole line of people in my maternal line because I brought birthing without intervention back into my bloodline. You're here. Mm -hmm. I am proud of you for that. That's incredible. And I think that again, like what is, what is the takeaway? And it's what it, when you hear that listeners, like what's personal to you in this, it's not what did Jana do as that is what's right. It's just what personally are you looking to heal in your line? And I think that's like, that's the most important thing that you can do because otherwise it becomes comparison and it becomes, well, so-and-so did this, so I should do that. No, it's like, it's your journey. And you encourage that as a doula yourself. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and as couples, if you, you know, if you're, 
husband or wife, honoring that in your partner and you know what it is for them as well as bringing your own healing into the relationship and passing that on to your children. And to recap in, in summary, you know, asking yourself the questions, am I too comfortable? You know, how can I get more uncomfortable in a way that's going to strengthen me to make me more resilient in the face of adversity, in the face of my own inner adversity that we all struggle with every day. Comfort crisis is a great book on that, or at least it's a starting point, although it's very physically oriented, at least so far the first you know 50 or so pages in as well as getting curious about your own intuition and seeking knowledge and answers to question when questions when you're looking to heal yourself or from a, an actual physical ailment you might be struggling with you know how much autonomy do you want to have over what happens in your body that's a question that you should ask and you should keep asking, where else did we go? You know, looking at um, the miracle that is your body and your partner's womb as not just simple biology, but, you know, divine creation that has spiritual essence and seeing, you know, if you can get to that, what comes of that sexually, what comes of that, just how you, just how you feel in your body. You know, those were some of the things that we rambled on about in this podcast and I really enjoyed it. And I, and again, I appreciate you, babe, for, for bringing me along. Oh, you know, like I said, you're always two steps ahead and I just, I enjoy so much. <laughs> I think um, I make you uncomfortable, which is why you like it. Again, it's good to be uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And yeah, if you liked it, we'll do more and if if you didn't we'll probably still do more so <laughs> so until next time thanks for tuning in to the ramble and thank you jana thank you joe as always thanks so much for listening to the ramble you know there is a lot of podcasts out there so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one you know we want to be part of the the solution the the good questions the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others you know all that great stuff so if the spirit does move you subscribe share post anything we'd be forever grateful and if you have any comments or feedback good bad ugly it doesn't matter we're here to listen guests you think we should have on of course send them along thank you and until next time peace Hey, thanks so much for making it to the end of the podcast. I know that myself and, of course, my guests really appreciate you listening all the way through. You know, they put a lot of time into their projects and their ideas, and and you know, they're very thoughtful with how they they bring themselves and show up on the show. And so I'm really grateful that uh, that you listened all the way through. You know, we don't have ads on the show. I think I don't think Red Circle's running ads, but I wanted to take just a quick second to say that hey, if the spirit moves you. You know, this podcast can be brought to you by some of the wild, fun, wacky, creative things I do. I always try and stay in the practice of creativity, whether that's writing or working on films or uh, just about anything. I, I try and be very diligent that I'm I'm doing it consistently. And so, you know, as a result of that, I put some things out and 
and I'd love for you to check them out. You know, one is uh, Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. That's my book, and you can get it anywhere where books are sold online, like Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or Indigo. And uh, it's the story of my company, Naked Underwear, the first company I started that went from a failed attempt on Dragon's Den, um, your, that's your Shark Tank in America, to the NASDAQ and was eventually divested. And it has a ton of tips and ideas for startups, very practical advice, but it's always also interwoven with my own story, which I think entrepreneurs and creatives and artists can really, uh, would really relate to, uh, you know, has almost 155 ish star, four and a half star reviews. And I think people, if you're going through, you know, a startup, need some motivation, need some ideas, just want to feel like, Hey, there's a kindred spirit out there. You know, it's a great book to check out. Also, you can check out my blog at joelprimus.com forward slash blog, where I write a couple of blogs a month about a variety of topics, a lot of stuff on fitness, things like how to know when to quit, a lot of personal development, psychedelics, all kinds of things. Everything's written from a personal lens. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to digest a little bit of hopefully fun and helpful and inspiration. And of course, keep checking out this podcast, The Ramble on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever your podcatcher of choice is. Thanks again and have an awesome day, week, month, whatever it is.